Good morning. It is a wonderful day to be in the house of the Lord in spite of the weather and the conditions outside. It is wonderful to be in God's house among his people. Amen? And if you happen to be a visitor and have braved the weather this morning, there are cards in the pew in front of you that if you would fill those out, we would love to know more about you. And you can place those in the offering plate as it is passed later in the service. Once again, welcome to worship at Arden First Baptist Church. We're doing worship a little differently than normal for a Sunday morning, considering that uh, we are smaller in number. And uh, so if you would just listen to my instructions as we worship together for our songs of praise. Here, first of all, the words from Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good. And his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Oh God, as we worship you this morning, help us to lift our hearts and voices in praise. And may we honor you with every part of our being. Lord, bless this time of worship together. We pray this prayer in your holy name. Amen. Would you take your hymnals that are in the pew in front of you and turn to hymn number 334, 334, and let's join together to sing Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine, 334. Let's stand together as we sing. Spirit. 
Savior all the day long from the very depths of our being and confess our need of our Lord. Turn in your hymnal now to hymn number 450. I need thee every hour and may this be the prayer of our heart. Let's sing together verses 1, 2, and 5. confessing our need of you. Lord, you are our Savior. We need you every hour of the day. Lord, we need you in the good times. And we need you in the times when it's rough. Lord, we just pray that we sense your presence in this very moment. 
Be seated, please. sin runs deep your grace is more where grace is found is where you are and where you are Lord I am free holiness is Christ in Teach my song to rise to you when temptation comes my way. When I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Jesus, you're my hope and stand. Lord, I
That's our confession. For without you, we're nothing. But in Christ, we can do all things. Amen. God's children said, it may be snowy outside, but the presence of the Lord is inside. Appreciate everyone who made it out in the snow today. I don't know about you, but I didn't get too hard where I live. I know some areas were worse than others, but glad everyone made it safely. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, so if you'll turn to Luke chapter 2. There's also a listening guide in your bulletin. And for those of you who are just joining us, we've been going through verse by verse through Luke's gospel. And something I didn't realize before the series is Luke is actually the most prolific author in the New Testament as far as the amount he wrote. A lot of people think the Apostle Paul because he wrote more letters, but as far as material, Luke, who wrote Luke and Acts, uh, wrote more content. Almost one-fourth of the New Testament was written by Luke. So, a little interesting fact. Uh, we want to welcome everyone today. Um, hopefully that you guys made it safely and just want to encourage you to drive safely as we leave. The roads, I think they're getting better as far as I can tell. Um, I saw Ben and Caroline, I feel bad for you. You just got off a cruise and now you're back at the snow. So probably the worst day to get off a cruise, right? <laughs> Come back to Asheville and it's snowy. So but we want to welcome you. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2. And as you turn there, I want to ask you a question. We're talking about the tween-age Jesus. Jesus is a 12-year-old. Um, can you remember when you were 12? Anybody remember? Um, I guess most, most of us were 6th or 7th grade. I can remember in the 6th grade I was in Miss Monahue's class. And it was an Inca school district. And we were divided up in different hallways. And I think we were the cougars. I don't know if schools still do like certain animals. Um, I think we were the cougar hallway. And I remember just feeling awkward as a sixth grader. You know, you just, you're not an adult yet. You're, you're older than a child. You're kind of hitting the teenage stage. And I just remember it kind of being a little awkward. You guys remember that? Um, you're trying to learn social skills. You're trying to work on things. And um, do you guys remember what you wanted to be when you grew up as a 12-year-old? I remember in the sixth grade I wanted to be an NBA superstar. I wanted to be Michael Jordan's replacement. There was a few problems, though. Um, as you know, I'm only six foot, six foot one, so I was a little too short. Um, I wasn't fast enough, and I couldn't dunk it as a sixth grader. So it was just like I really, you know, my dream was a pipe dream. And uh, so that, that's, that's one of those things. And besides, my, my brother Michael was sitting in the back. He could beat me. And I'm like, well, if I'm going to be the next Jordan, I've got to at least beat my brother. And so anyways, those are some dreams I have. And uh, Lily Tomlin said, I've always wanted to be somebody, but I see now that I should have been more specific about who I wanted to be. 
So uh, the rabbis in Jesus' day, is just a little uh, preview of this text, um, 12-year-old was an interesting stage because at age 13, you entered uh, what, what the Jews know now as the bar mitzvah, and you were considered a son-in-law. You were considered an adult. Can you imagine that, not having a teenage stage? You just grow straight from being a kid to now you're an adult. Um, there wasn't really the adolescence as we know it. Um, they, they basically started, you know, performing duties of what their father did. They were, you know, learning their trade. So in this case, Jesus, what was his dad, his earthly father, adopted father? He was a carpenter, right? So Jesus learned carpentry. So we see Jesus as a preteen, and he's, entered in, he's entering into the temple here, and we find something interesting as we read this text, that Mary and Joseph are shocked at something Jesus does, and they actually misunderstand him. So with that preview, let's jump into verse 41 of Luke 2. It says, His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover, and when Jesus was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days, they returned, and notice the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. Again, you see, it doesn't say Joseph, his father. It says Joseph and his mother. Because we know through the miraculous virgin birth, Joseph was Jesus' adopted father, not his real father. But, verse 44, But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey, and they sought him among their relatives and acquaintance. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, before we read the next verse, how many of you have ever lost a child before? Anybody? You're not willing to admit if you had. Can you imagine losing the Son of God like he's missing? Like his mission is to save the world and all of a sudden he's no longer here? I mean, imagine the terror that they must have felt. So verse uh, 45, so when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. So now after three days, they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the teachers both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. Before we read verse 48, just a question I want to ask you. Have you ever seen a 12-year-old preteen or even a teenager that just loves hanging out at church, asking theological questions? Have you ever met a, a teenager like that or preteen? <laughs> Everyone's shaking their head. So you can see why they're kind of astonished. It's 12-year-old Jesus loving the temple, loving the church, loving the, the scriptures. And it says in verse 47, all who heard him were astonished at his answers and his understanding. So when they saw him, Mary and Joseph, they were amazed. And notice what his mother said to him. And I can imagine her motherly voice. Son, why have you done this to us? Look at your father and I have sought you anxiously. I don't know how your mother would have said it, but... <laughs> Verse 49, so he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement what Jesus spoke to them. In verse 51, it said, then Jesus went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. Let us pray. Father, this is a very interesting text about Jesus as a 12-year-old. I pray as we read this scripture that you would help us to understand uh, the life of Christ and we would 
begin to unravel the mysteries of the incarnation, God putting on a human body and what that meant. And Lord, help us to learn from the life of Jesus, even as a 12-year-old. So Lord, as we look into your scripture, speak to our heart and help us to understand it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, about know about you, but growing up in church, I always heard a lot about Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection. I heard a lot about his ministry. But have we ever learned a lot about his childhood and being a preteen? In fact, this scripture is like one of the only passages we have of Jesus from the time he was 12 to the time he was 30. There was 18 years of silent years. Just like when he was around 2 up to this point, there's 10 years of silent years. But Luke records this for a reason. I think the reason is we can learn a lot from Jesus as a 12-year-old. So if I had a subtitle other than the tween-age Jesus, it would be Lessons from the 12-Year-Old Jesus. All right, let's look at the first one. What can we learn? Number one, Jesus was brought up in the ways of God by his parents. Now, if you look at verse 41 and 42 in your scripture, it says every year his parents went to the feast of the Passover. And when Jesus was 12, he went up with them according to the custom of the feast. So certain things we notice about his parents is they went to the feast of the Passover every year. And we know from cultural history there in the Old Testament there were three main feasts that they would celebrate. And fast Passover was kind of the, the celebration of those. And as the Jews got scattered around the world at that time, many of them couldn't go to all three. So they would at least go to the Passover. That was considered the highlight. And you guys remember the story of Passover. It goes back to Exodus how when you know, the Egyptians had the Israelites in captivity and they, they had all these plagues. And one of them was you had to put the blood of the lamb on your door and whenever the death angel came by at nighttime, what would happen when they saw the blood? They would pass over. So the Passover is a celebration that God spared the firstborn sons. Now I don't know about you, but as I looked into the scripture, I thought it was very intriguing that you have God's one and only eternal son, Jesus. And he's celebrating the Passover, which he's celebrating the deliverance that the firstborn sons got spared, but he himself is not going to be spared. He himself is getting ready to give his life as the ultimate Passover lamb. And we know from Scripture, throughout the Old Testament, all those sacrifices were kind of like IOUs. Remember, for those of you who grew back in the the hometown store or the gas station, they would write an IOU and you could come back and pay, pay your tab. They don't really do that anymore. But the Old Testament sacrifices were kind of like the IOUs. They were written, they were taken place, and they were in place until Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, would come. And if you ever study the book of Hebrews, it basically is a good explanation of what that, what that looks like. And it, Jesus took all the sin of the whole world, past, present, and future, by his one sacrifice. So that, that's kind of the essence of the feast of the Passover. Uh, we know from Jewish culture that whenever a Jewish boy uh, became 13, that's when he was considered a man. And I, this is the question I want to ask you. What, what, how would our culture be differently if 13-year-olds started getting jobs and started working? you think it would be a little different? <laughs> Um, so they were considered a son of the law, and basically they were, they were under the, the opportunity to learn the things of the temple. So as a 12-year-old, from 12 to 13, in a lot of cases, this was the year of preparation. This is the year when the son would shadow the father. 
He would learn a lot of the um, things of the sacrifice uh, in the temple, um, thinking about the Passover, the different feasts, um, that the son would learn. But here we have Jesus before age 13, already well beyond his years. So I, I think about Jesus that even at 12, he was all about his father's business. And I really believe that if we would become more and more about God's business, our life would be changed. So Jesus was about his father's business at 12. What about you? What about you as a 50-year-old, as an 80-year-old? Are you as focused on the father's business as Jesus was? Number two, second thing we can learn, is Mary and Joseph experience drama just like any other parent. Now, for those of you who are in the grandkids stage or the kids stage or Maybe you don't have kids, but you're around kids. How many of you have ever noticed that drama follows kids? I mean, it's just drama all over the place. Um, and as a father of four, you know, people ask, well, how do you do it? How do you survive the drama? And one thing that helps me, it's, it's a challenge for sure, but I, I remind myself I only have 18 summers with these kids before they grow up. 18 summers. My oldest, Kira, is six. So I've just got like 13 summers left or 12 summers left with her before she turns 18. And that's, that goes by so fast. So the drama is well worth it. But look back at verse 43. It says, when they had finished the days they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem and Mary and Joseph did not know it. Now, let me ask you a question. Was Jesus lost or was his parents lost? You ever think about that? From his parents' perspective, Jesus was lost. From Jesus' perspective, he knew exactly where he was. So who was really lost in this story? But something about Jesus that's fascinating is he, he's in the temple. And it begs the question from every parent and grandparent, well, how did Mary and Joseph, how did they not know that Jesus was lost? I mean, especially after a day he's not there and it takes three days to find him, the time you get back to the temple, what happened? Well, part of this is a cultural background. In this day and time, um, in essence, whole villages would travel to Jerusalem for the Passover, entire villages. So you know how it is when you get a lot of kids together? Sometimes the kids are, you know, with a big group and someone's watching them. And in this culture, ladies, it's almost like today. You ever notice how women go to the bathroom together and they're all hanging out together? And you're like, I've never, I never understood that as a guy. Why are all the, you want to go to the bathroom? Sure. And they all hang out together. Well, in that culture, women hung out together, just like today's culture. Men are clueless. Why? So the women would often be in the front, and they would be hanging out, chit-chatting, talking. You know, tell me what's going on in, in, in your neighborhood. Tell me about what you had for dinner. I mean, they were chatting, communicating. And the men typically would be in the back in a lot of cases. So here's probably what happened with, with the cultural background. Mary assumed that Jesus was, was with who? Joseph. And Joseph thought Jesus was with Mary. And they each assumed that Jesus was with the other one. And all along, Jesus was sitting in the temple. And he was asking questions. And he was doing things that just, wow. So, parents, I just want to ask you the question. Whenever you've lost your child, what goes through your mind? Can you imagine? I, a few cases of losing... When I was, I guess about 12, I was close to the age, I used to love going to the smile, it wasn't smiley, it was the Dreamland Flea Market. Anybody ever been there back in the day? All right. So that was like a fun family event. We'd go to the Dreamland Flea Market on Friday and Saturday, and 
I mean, they had such good deals. It was like the best yard sales all put together. And, you know, occasionally you get a few dollars to buy a sausage biscuit or just hang out. It was just fun as a kid. I remember across the street from the flea market, there was a store called Farmore. You guys remember that? And the, the, the glory of Farmore is you could get canned drinks for 25 cents. And I, as a kid, I thought this was the greatest thing. So my parents would give me some money. I'd go across the street to Farmore. Uh, I'd get the 25-cent drink, maybe some candy if I had extra money. And it was fun. One day, I brought a friend with me from school. As I mentioned, I grew up in the Inca School District, and I bought a friend. His name is Corey, and we went to Farmore. We hung out, and we were getting ready to cross the street to the flea market, and he said, i gotta, I got to go to the restroom. I'll be right back. So I waited for him, and I waited, and I waited. It was like 10 minutes later. He never come, came out, so I figured he had just went across the street. Long story short, he got lost. I went across the street. I ran into his mom, and his mom's like, where's my son? Like, I thought he was with you. I thought he was with you. And it was just like this terror. Finally, we crossed the street again maybe an hour later, and he was still there. Like, where's everybody? But it's just, it's so scary to get lost. Um, recently, I shared with some of you how um, it was Wednesday night dinner, uh, and we, we came in with entourage of kids and all this, and Lori is chit-chatting with some of you ladies, and Gabriel takes off. So I go to follow him, and I get sidetracked talking to someone else. The next thing I know it, Gabriel's gone. And I look over Lori, she's still talking. I'm like, thank the Lord, she's not aware that the baby's missing. So I went up the, ele- I went up the stairs, couldn't, couldn't see him. I went up the elevator, and I went to the first floor. And to my shock, there was Gabriel just bawling his eyes out. He had went up the elevator by himself and got off on the first floor. And, and I'm like, thank the Lord, Lori didn't see this. <laughs> she would have been shocked. But it's the panic of getting the loss. Now... Luke doesn't necessarily imply this, but he was lost for how many days? Three days. Just my mind kind of took me. There was another time, many years later, when Jesus appeared to be lost for three days. And it seemed like the whole world was mourning. Friday came. It was darkness. There was a party in hell going on because Satan thought he had won. Saturday came. Jesus is still in the grave. But when Sunday came, the one they thought was lost was risen again, resurrected. And I just find that fascinating. He was lost for three days, and you fast forward many years later. So even Jesus, as a 12-year-old, was about his father's business. Are you about God's business? Are you about the things of God? Number three, Jesus understood his mission from an early age. He said, I must be about my father's, what, business. Now, I find it quite fascinating, the word must. This indicates a divine necessity. Now, think about a 12-year-old that's so purposeful and said, this is what I have to do. This is my purpose. This is my mission. I don't know about you, but I had a lot of pipe dreams as a 12-year-old, a lot of dreams. But I didn't have, like, this is what I have to do for the rest of my life. But Jesus, as a 12-year-old, had a sense of his divine mission and purpose. And it almost seems shocking when Mary and Joseph are like, what's going on? And Jesus is like, didn't you know? He knew, but the others seemed to have forgotten. And that brings up a question. Why didn't Mary and Joseph know Jesus was going to be in the temple? Why didn't they know that he had to be about his father's business? And in their mind, Jesus had really let them down. But in Jesus' mind, didn't you remember this is my mission. This is my purpose. 
And I was, as I was researching this this week, uh, a thought occurred to me. Sometimes in the silent years of God, we, for, we can forget what God has promised or told us in the past. Because you know, Jesus' birth, as we studied in December, it was miraculous. You had all these angels appearing. You had the wise men with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All this stuff. How did Mary and Joseph not think about that? Well, it had been at least ten years. The silence. And I think if we look at our lives, if we look back 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, God appeared to us and he told us things. But time has gone on and we've forgotten. And I'm almost thinking Jesus' words, did you not know, really apply to us today. Do you not remember when I talked to you then? Do you not remember the calling I placed on your life? It hasn't changed. You may have forgotten it, but I surely haven't. So what was Jesus doing in God's house? It says that he was listening to the teachers. How many 12-year-olds do you know that are good listeners today? How good were you listening when you were 12? (laughs) I was like, wow. And he was asking questions as a 12-year-old, as a teenager, as a preteen. Did you ever ask insightful questions to adults? Even today, as an adult, how good are we asking questions? Ouch. And also, they were amazed at his answers and his responses. They could not believe how Jesus, a 12-year-old, could know such things, could ask such intelligent questions. And if my research is correct, I found out that more than 100 times in the Gospels, Jesus asked questions. So you find it intriguing. As a 12-year-old, he's asking questions. When Jesus fast-forwards 18 years as a 30-year-old, what is he doing? He's still asking questions. What do you say about the Son of Man? Whose son is he? What are, what are people saying about me? And Jesus continues to ask questions. So what is the best way to learn? We have some educators in the room. What is the best way to learn? I think it's really twofold. It's to listen and to ask questions. We've got a lot of retired school teachers in our church. Think about the students that were the most successful. Weren't they the ones that were listening and asking questions? Think about the kids that did the worst. Were they not the ones that were talking the whole time or distracted? So I think if you look at Jesus' parents, look at their response. Why did you do this to us? And Jesus said, why did you seek me? Did you not know I must be about my father's business? Now, something by, by way of application, I think, is very important. While Mary and Joseph were seeking after Jesus, who was Jesus seeking after? He was seeking after the Father. And I think here's a good personal application for you. Every day, people are going to be seeking after you. They're going to be wanting your time, your attention. Uh, how many of you, your phone's already blowing up as soon as you get out of bed in the morning? Text messages, phone calls. While people are seeking after you, like Jesus, you should be seeking after the Father before you allow others to find you. So that's just a good application for meeting with God before you meet with other people. That's a good application of getting up early um, and spending time with the Father. Because every single day, whether you're still working or whether you're retired, you're going to have people who are seeking after your attention, seeking after you. And I think our response is, well, why, why didn't you call me as such and such? Did you not know I was with the Father? Did you not know I was praying? 
I think we can learn from that. So on your listening guide, there's a few tips for spending quality times with God the Father. Um, the first one is this. Take time out of your day every day to spend time alone with God. And this is really hard for some of you. Some of you, it's easier. Uh, I know Ross and Renee with the kids, it's, it's hard. Uh, Lori and I have found we have to get up extra early because our kids get up 7 o'clock on the dot. So if we're not up by 6 or even earlier, we're not going to really have a good time with God. So we, we, have to, we have to prepare ahead of time to set our alarm clock. And maybe we have to be up by 5.30 or 6. And it's, just, it's a discipline. But if we don't do that, guess what? As soon as the kids get up, it's all hands on deck all day until they go to bed at night. I mean, there's, you know how it is. There's not a whole lot of break. So spend time with God. Take time every day. Now, something interesting concept, I was listening to a sermon recently. It was called Evening and Morning. Evening and Morning. And I've never thought of this concept, but you ever notice how you read in Genesis it talks about evening and morning, the first day, evening and morning, um, evening and morning, and you're like, isn't it morning and evening? Why evening and morning? Well, the Jewish mindset, they think of a day beginning at sunset, and then it goes to the next sunset. We think of the day beginning when you get up. But think about this. If you begin your day in the evening, when the sun sets. That's usually the time when you have the most control over, when you're off work, right? Some of you have to work night shift. But think about evenings. Think about getting a good night's rest. Think about getting up early and spending time with God. If your day begins well and ends well, no matter what happens during the 9 to 5, it could be a good day. So one thing I would encourage you with a Jewish mindset is evening and morning. Whenever it's evening, prepare your heart to settle down, to connect with God, to rest. Some of you need to get more sleep than you're getting. I was listening to a recent message that talked about a study that those who get less than a certain amount of hours of sleep, it's the equivalent of drinking a six-pack of beer and going to work. I mean, you are just like out of it. And it's like we walk around staggering because of sleep deprivation. And how many of you would like someone operating on you that had just drunk a six-pack of beer? How many of you would like someone driving a car? And, but we get so little sleep because evening and morning. And I think if, if we look at this time of spending time with God, we plan. We get to bed at a certain time where we can get up early and spend that time with God. All right, number two, under, under the points of spending time with God, talk to God and listen to Him talk back to you. A lot of times, especially for those of you who are extroverts, you have a hard time listening. Sorry, extroverts, I am one. You're good at talking, but you're not very good at listening. And what does the scripture say? Be still and know that I'm God. How many of us are so frantic and so always on the go? So I'm often convicted of this because I'm the type, I'm, I'm kind of like a knowledge junkie. So when I'm in my car, I'm listening to sermons, I'm listening to talks, I'm listening to podcasts all the time. Knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. And it's like, when am I stopping to be still? When am I stopping to listen? And I think many of us are the same way. We just have to listen to God talk back to us. Dive into God's word and feast upon his promises. Oh, to God that we could be like the 12-year-old Jesus. So hungry and passionate for the things of God. So hungry. I mean, I think Jesus sets the example. He's a 12-year-old. He's not even gotten into adulthood, and yet he is hungry for the things of God. How many of us are just starving for the things of God? We get distracted so easy. We get so busy. But Jesus sets the example of diving into God. 
Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you fresh and new for the day that lies ahead. Something uh, Glenn, is, Glenn and Bob's doing a class on the Holy Spirit on Wednesday nights. And one of the things about the Holy Spirit is He's there with you as a believer. But sometimes we don't ask Him to fill us. We don't ask Him to lead us. But He's like that coach. He's guiding us. He's leading us. So that's important. And also on a practical note, keep it fresh and creative. Sometimes your devotional times of God can seem stale. I've heard people ask me, well, Timothy, I just don't hear from God, and God doesn't speak like He once did. Well, why don't you mix things up? Why don't you try reading out a different Bible translation? Why don't you try playing worship music in the background? Why don't you try going on a hike and praying? Um, I went through a coaching network last year with different pastors. There were 20 pastors initially, and they talked about how do you hear from God? How does God speak to you? And to my surprise, many of them like would go on hikes and pray. And that was their way of connecting. And they just had different ways of connecting with God. So if you've kind of stelled out in your devotional time, mix it up a little bit. Try something different. Um, you know, those things can help you. So Jesus was all about his Father's business. What about you? Are you about the things of God? Number four, what else can we learn about Jesus? Now, I think this is very important. Even though Jesus was God in the flesh, he still obeyed his parents. Does anybody have an umbrella with them? All right, I've got to borrow an umbrella here. So, we've got to mix things up today. This is a small one, but this will work. Oh, we've got a nice little cross here. There we go. You know someone's sanctified right here with the cross. I love it. So, it's pink, so don't hold that against me. But, you guys remember the umbrella? For those of you here last year, for those of you who weren't, you'll learn um, something important. But verse 51 says that Jesus obeyed his parents. He went with them. So the thing about obedience, Jesus was God in the flesh, but yet he obeyed his parents. You ever think about that? Luke adds that, by the way, so we don't think that Jesus sinned in any way. Because you're like, well, wait a second, was Jesus disobeying his parents because they didn't know? And Jesus never disobeyed his parents. They just misunderstood Jesus. Which, by the way, people today misunderstood Jesus But here's the principle of authority that the 12-year-old Jesus knew. And I have to remind myself, and I want to remind you, is whenever you get under an umbrella, what what does it do? It it covers you, it protects you from the rain. What a good day to use this illustration, right? It's raining outside. But when you are outside the umbrella, what happens? You're going to get wet, you're vulnerable, you're not protected. So here's, here's a saying that I heard many years ago, it stuck with me. Whenever you get under what God has over you, God will raise you above what he has under you. Whenever you get under what God has over you, he will raise you above what he has under you. So you're like, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the principle of authority. Jesus was God in the flesh, and yet he got under his parents' authority. Do you think God blessed him for that? I do. The challenge, not just with teenagers, but it's with adults... We are in such a postmodern culture, we don't like authority. We want to be out on our own. The problem is, is we're vulnerable. God places us all under authority. Jesus was under his parents' authority until he became an adult. And even when he got on his own, he was always under whose authority? God's. Every single one of us are under authority today. We're all, um, if, if you work, Unless you own your own company, you're under authority. But guess what? Even if you own own your own company, you still have tax rules. You have restrictions. 
I mean, there's always authority. So here's what I want, I want you to get that we forget is the concept of authority. Whenever we get under what God has over us, we are covered, protected, and blessed. Now, some of you are like, what about if I don't agree with the authority? Well, has God put you under that authority? If you're not responding to the authority God has over you, uh, he's not going to bless you as he could. I mean, God can bless you whenever he wants to, don't get me wrong, but he blesses you when you are under his authority. So, thank you, Glenn, for your umbrella. So, whenever you get under what God has over you, he will raise you above what he has under you. So, I want you to look back in your life. The times when you resisted authority, was that usually when you got the promotion? Was that usually when you felt close to God? Or was that usually when you struggled the most? The times where you yielded to those in authority over you, was that hard? Of course it was. But did blessings flow from that? I really think from the 12-year-old Jesus we can learn this, that even though he was God, he submitted himself to authority. I think that's, that's there in the text, and I think we can uh, be encouraged by that. So look at the person next to you and say, I must be about the Father's business. If there's no one in the pew because of snow, just yell it out. I must be about the Father's business. Jesus was all about the things of God. What about us? Finally. Jesus grew in every possible area of life. Look at verse 52. It says, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. As we read through the Gospels, we see Jesus experiencing things that all humans experience. In John 4, 6, he was weary. In John, I believe it's 22, 44, he experienced sorrow and pain. He was tempted by the devil. Um, in every way, he, he had these temptations and these challenges that we do. So I want you to think of the incarnation as this. Incarnation is not God minus anything. It's God plus something. So it, it's the mystery, but the Trinity is very mysterious. But you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the Son is not the Son in that, that He was born because He was eternal. He's, he's always existed. But He's the Son in the relational aspect to the Father. So whenever Jesus came to earth, He was known as the Son of God, the eternal Word, and He took upon Him a human body. And that's where Christmas comes about, God with flesh. So I want you to think of the incarnation as not God minus something, but God plus something. So what that means is God, when Jesus took on a human body, he didn't, he didn't access all of his divine attributes as he could. He, the best way I, I could phrase it is he didn't independently use any of his divine attributes. So let's look at it like this. Is God omniscient? Does he know all things? Yeah, well, how is Jesus learning if he knows all things? It's God plus the human body. Jesus could access his divine knowledge, but he independently laid aside his voluntary aspects of this. In other words, he said, Father, I'm submitting to your authority, and right now my mission is to come to planet Earth and to live a perfect life and to die as a sacrifice. So Jesus learned just like any other 12-year-old. Now, do we see in Scripture that Jesus knew things that only God can know? Yes. But that's when the Father wanted him, and that's when he connected to it. It's a mystery. It's it's hard to explain. Okay, here's an easy one. Is God everywhere present? Absolutely. 
What about Jesus? Was he everywhere present when he came to earth? No, because he was in a human body. Now, was God still everywhere present in the Trinity? Yes. But Jesus laid aside certain rights and privileges. He didn't independently use it apart from the Father's will. Okay, what about omnipotent? Can God, is God strong and mighty and can do anything? Yes. Well, how do we see Jesus getting weak and weary and tired and Jesus asleep on the pillow and Jesus crying? Because he was human. Now, were there times that Jesus did supernatural feats like walk on water and, you know, feed the 5,000? Absolutely. So whenever you think of the incarnation, never think of God minus something. It's always God plus. Jesus plus a human body. He laid aside certain privileges that he didn't independently use them unless it was the Father's will. So that's, that's the best way I know how to explain it. But if you look at, if Jesus grew in these, these areas, notice it says in wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is seeing the world from God's perspective. Wisdom is knowing how to apply knowledge to your life. We could say Jesus grew intellectually. So let me ask you a question. When's the last time you read a book? <laughs> Crickets. If Jesus grew intellectually, if we're falling after him, shouldn't we grow intellectually? Or is it just is spiritually the only thing that matters? It mattered to Jesus. It should matter to us. Um, there's a lot of people that haven't read a book since they graduated college. Ouch. All right, like, preacher, you're meddling. No, I'm just giving you the scripture here. All right, he grew in stature. Stature is physical. Now, we know spiritual is most important, but are we taking care of our temples? Our body is a temple of God. If Jesus grew in stature and he grew physically, what about us? What about favor with God? That would be considered spiritual life. Are you growing in favor with God? In other words, is your relationship to God closer today than it was yesterday? Are you hungry for the things of God? Um, what about favor with man? That's social. One of my mentors, uh, Steve Scoggin, some of you know him, he's at First Baptist Hendersonville. Uh, I want to read you something he said, I think it's really, really profound. He says, I've known only a few pastors who have lost churches over bad doctrine. But I've known many who have lost churches over a lack of people skills. You think that's true? Most people lose jobs and ministries, not because they're out in left field, but because they lack people skills. And I really think Jesus sets example. He, he could relate not just to God, but he could relate to people. So how are your people skills developing? Are you good at asking questions? Are you good at listening? That's 90% of it. But it's, it's, it's an understanding that people matter to God, so people should matter to us. So how people relate and how people communicate. Let, let us grow in our emotional intelligence. So, in conclusion, we're not just human beings. We are human becomings. We're becoming more and more like Jesus each and every day. So what are some things that we learned from the 12-year-old Jesus? We learned that Jesus was brought up in the ways of God by his parents. So for those of us who are parents and grandparents, we really need to encourage those children and grandchildren, listen, the ways of God are the best. We, we learned or relearned that Mary and Joseph experienced, experienced trauma just like any other parent. So if you have child or grandchild drama, guess what? Jesus' parents, and Jesus was perfect, and they still had drama. So you're going to have drama. It goes with the territory. But remember, you have 18 summers with your Children and grandchildren, just 18 summers. Number four, we learn that even though Jesus was God in the flesh, 
he still obeyed his parents. We talked about the principle of authority. Whenever you get under what God has over you, God will raise you above what he has under you. Kind of good, uh-huh. And I got a little meddling, number five, Jesus crew in every possible area of life. So how are you doing? How are you doing spiritually, physically? How are you doing relationally with your people skills? How are you doing um, with, with your walk with God? So your take-home truth is this. I must be about my father's business. If you are in it to win it, then you must be all in for the things of God. So if you're going to leave this place with one simple truth, it's this. Be about the things of God. If the 12-year-old Jesus was all about God, why shouldn't we be even more so about the things of God? Can I get it? Uh-huh. All right, let's pray. Father, your word is powerful. And God, I, even as I read this, I fall miserably short of the 12-year-old Jesus. I'm not growing in every area all the time. Some areas I'm doing better than others. But Lord, I pray that you would help us, most importantly, to be all about the Father's business. Be all about the things of God. God, help us to learn from the 12-year-old Jesus that God's house and God's people and God's word is so important for all of life. It's not a separate thing. It is, it, it, it's our life. It's all about God. So help us to remember that. And Father, we just want to pray that you would forgive us where we fall short of you. Help us grow in wisdom. Help us grow in stature. Help us grow in favor with God and man. And as we pray, as the believers continue to pray, if there be one here today that's never surrendered your life to Jesus, just say, Jesus, I believe in you. I know that I fall so short of the example. But Jesus, I want to live the life that you live, but I can't do it. I, I fall short. So Jesus, come into my life. I make you my Lord and my Savior. I want to follow you. Jesus, give me a new start and forgive me of my sins. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, we want to welcome you and we want to talk to you about your new walk with Christ. So Father, thank you for the lessons we've learned from the 12-year-old Jesus. Help us to be all about the Father and His will. In Jesus' name we pray. Now God's children said, Amen.